Thank you for that very warm welcome, everyone. It's very kind. As Patrick mentioned, my name is Tina. Um, and as you may have noticed from all the Christmas songs and the decorations and the twinkly lights, we are smack in the middle of Advent, this time of anticipation of the coming Jesus, um, a time of great joy, a time of the Christmas story. And here as a, a church, we've been walking through the Christmas story in our Advent series, Near and Far, um, just about how the gospel, the good news of Jesus comes to us in these tender, intimate, close places, and it radiates outward. Um, this week, we'll be entering into the Christmas story at the moment of the first public announcement of the good news of Jesus' birth. Um, now, let's be honest. Uh, God's PR strategy for the birth of the Messiah so far in the story is a little bit whack. No, like, he sends an angel, right, to announce to Mary that she's giving birth to the Son of God, but there is nothing in the Bible suggesting that, she, that God sent that same angel to, let's say, Mary's parents or her fiancé. Her fiancé didn't even get the memo from the angels until after he was going to divorce her quietly so that she wouldn't be stoned to death. So the timing, the timing of the announcement is off, no? Um, and you'd think maybe... There could, be, there could have been like an angelic messenger to go to maybe a couple, one or two of the innkeepers in Bethlehem to be like, hey, uh, heads up. I know it's a busy week. Things are pretty full around here. But the creator of the universe will be arriving in very vulnerable baby form. So you might want to set aside one of your better rooms. Nothing. Crickets. Silence. Uh, we all know how the story goes, right? Mary gives birth in a barn. Um, it's clear because nobody would let her into the inns, right? So clearly, the Bethlehem innkeepers did not get the memo. Um, so it feels like, I mean, if you're reading the story as an, from an outsider's perspective, it kind of seems like heaven completely botched the pregnancy announcement here. Um, but here we are now, right? At this later stage in the story, Jesus has been born. Healthy and alive, a little bit dusty in a barn, but healthy here to save humanity from sin and oppression for all time. And this is where we enter the story for today. The whole thing so far has gone down in some surprising ways, but now that Jesus is born, how does the heavenly calms plan roll out from here? This is where we enter our story. And um, thinking about like communications and how things get announced. It's kind of a thing in our culture, isn't it, to be one of the people who's in the know? Um, you know, usually it signals some sort of power or influence if you're the first to find out about something really important. It's like the uh, Hamilton song, right? No one else is in the room where we're having, you know, I don't know in the room where we're having. Um, the biggest news usually starts with the people who are closest to the source, and usually it radiates outward towards less and less important people. <laughs> um, and so if you're the first one to be filled in, typically that means that you have an extra special connection to the source of the news. Um, and usually the bigger the news, the quicker it moves outward. Um, so if you want to spread the news the right way, common knowledge is you start by filling in the people with the most authority who are closest to you, and then you publicize with as wide of a reach as possible. 
like the pregnancy announcement that first goes to your closest friends and your parents, then maybe you gotta tell your job, and then you go to Insta with the really cute picture with the baby bump. I would have slides, but there are none, so <laughs> imagine. Just picture the weirdest pregnancy announcement you've seen. Like, you've seen a whole bunch of them. Um, that's how you do it. Or the leadership changeover in a business um, starts off first on the golf course, right? And then in the boardroom, then the letter to all the stockholders, and then the newspapers and Twitter. So it goes. The public announcement of Jesus' arrival to earth turns all of this traditional wisdom on its head, doesn't it? And I believe it says a lot about the character of our God and how we as his people get to relate to heaven as just regular, unimportant people. And so before we dive into today's scripture, um, would you please join me in just taking a moment to pray? God of heaven, thank you for this gospel. Thank you for the good news of your story. There's something amazing about it, so much so that we're all here gathered today to meet with you, to hear more of your good news, to understand the beauty of your love for us as told through scripture. Would you, God, come alive for us today? Would you speak to us today? Would you speak through me today? Would you use these precious minutes we have together as a community to illuminate something beautiful, to illuminate something true? Spirit of the living God, we, we make space for you. We say, welcome. We're hungry to hear from you. Would you speak something real to us today? In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. All right. No slides, right? So we're used to seeing the scripture. You're going to need to join me. Pull it out. I don't know if anybody brought, like, the Bible Bible, the physical one, the book one, but you're welcome to use, I think Shirley calls it a Bible, right? The phone Bible. Um, you can use your Bibles, you can use your Bibles, and we will turn together to Luke, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, later on in the Bible, chapter 2. And we, our story, we're inserting ourselves into the story at chapter 2 of the book of Luke, verse 8. And I'll be reading to you from the New International Version. So our story starts here. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. We'll pause right there. The first sort of thing I want to communicate to you guys today is that God's Glory intentionally shows up in the most ordinary places. God's glory intentionally shows up in the most ordinary of places. The first ever heavenly proclamation about the arrival of the Messiah to earth comes to a group of shepherds in a field on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Now, all my instincts on how things work in the world lead me to think that, wow, these must be 
some super spiritual shepherds. <laughs> they must be really close to heaven to be the first to be filled in, no? Maybe, maybe they were fasting and praying in the weeks leading up to Jesus' birth. Maybe, maybe this group of shepherds is super prophetically gifted. You know those people who just like hear from God without even thinking about it, and they're just really attuned to the things of the Spirit, and so God knew that and came to them first. Or maybe they just came back from some volunteer work in a more destitute set of fields and helping more needy and, um, you know, coming on hard times types of shepherds. And God saw their faithful service and their steadfast love, so decided to give them a glimpse of heaven's glory before the rest of them because of all the great work they were doing. Fun fact, it is noteworthy to me that the Bible says nothing about any of this. All the shepherds were doing when that angel showed up out of nowhere was existing. They were doing their regular unspiritual job, which consisted of living in some fields with some sheep. They did absolutely nothing special, absolutely nothing spiritual to conjure up this angelic greeting. There is nothing in this text to suggest that these were moral or spiritual shepherds at all. Uh, who knows if they even believed in a Messiah? Who knows if they prayed in years? Nothing. They were just present all the Bible says about these shepherds before the angels show up is they were living out in the fields nearby. In the fields, right? So it wasn't even like a glamorous, unspiritual job. It was a stinky one. They lived outside. Probably smelled like sheep. So this leads me to, to wonder, right? Just a wondering I'll present before you today. What if things don't have to be awesome in order for us to have an encounter with God's gospel in God's glory. I'll ask it again. What if things don't have to be awesome in order for us to have an encounter with God's gospel and God's glory? What if we don't have to be awesome? If we're honest, I think many of us are wired to despise the ordinary, especially in places like, dare I say, New Haven, Connecticut. Here in the shadow of a big, important institutions like Yale University, we're enthralled here by the extraordinary, aren't we? We're quick to be dismissive of regular things, maybe even regular people. This town doesn't just have a library, right? It has a Gothic cathedral to the human intellect. Um, it doesn't just have a gym. It has the largest and most beautifully constructed college gym in America. Um, but today's text reminds us that God's presence is different than how we are wired, isn't it? God's presence urgently seeks out ordinary humans in the middle of their ordinary lives. And God chooses to delight in our ordinary, unspiritual lives. Because in the middle, we see right here, um, in the middle of their boring and dirty shepherding, the, the, the Bible says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God. We are sorely mistaken if we think that the presence and glory of God has any shred of a preference for church buildings or even explicitly religious spaces or exceptional and important people. This angelic pronouncement could have come to any synagogue in the greater Bethlehem area, could it not? It could have come to any group of priests nearby. They could have popped into a meeting of the Pharisees discussing their religious texts. Angels being like, hey, the Messiah is born. I know you're discussing spiritual things. Here's a little tip. It could have sought out the most holy people in the land and appeared to them one by one in their deepest moments of prayer. But the angel didn't. 
The angel came to shepherds who were doing nothing but shepherding, not praying, not feeding the poor or worshiping God, just people working with their coworkers in their regular job. All they did was be present, living in the fields nearby. And I'm 100% confident that God did it this way on purpose. For me, one of the richest and most spiritually significant seasons in my life was a particularly ordinary one. Um, this was a little over a year after graduating from college, um, right around summer of 2010. I had just come back to New Haven after doing something very noble and spiritual, volunteering for a four-month stint with some street children in Buenos Aires, Argentina, with a Christian nonprofit. I held a very important degree, bachelor's degree in political science from the one and only Yale University. I was 22 years old and full of very glorious and ambitious ideas about how I was planning on serving Jesus radically by using all of my gifts for the glory of God. And so, you know, full of hope and excitement, I returned to New Haven, ready to rock it, applying for all the jobs. And I cast a wide net, y'all. This is like jobs in political science, research fellowships for random professors I've never heard of, public allies fellowship to do important work for the poor, uh, applied for paralegal for an immigration law firm, some random music-related jobs, tried a little bit of everything. I thought I wrote some pretty excellent cover letters. Even, even went to a couple interviews, I thought it came across as relatively charming and interesting. Um, but only one, only one place dared to hire me. This was Brugger's Bagels on Grove and Church. Some of you have been there. Delicious. Pretty sure my hourly wage was less than $8. I think my title was like team member, not even like a supervisor because I had zero experience in the food industry, so I was like underqualified. Um, and the job was what it was. I had to show up at 7 a.m. every single morning, put on my little Brugger's Bagels black polo and the hairnet and the little hat, um, and then with a warm smile, greet my former professors and former classmates and ask them if they wanted their bagel toasted or not toasted. Um, you know, go to the bathrooms, various points throughout the day to wipe down the toilets and the mirrors and make sure it was spick and span for everybody. Um, it was a categorically unimpressive job. Many of you have held such positions in your life. Um, and if I'm honest, I wasn't even good at it. Uh, I wasn't. There were multiple occasions where I just kind of get a little distracted, chatting with the person and their bagel. I forgot that I was toasting it, and then it's like on fire. So, you know, get people's order wrong. It's, you know, this bread, not this bread. It's just a lot of details, y'all. Also, not very good at math. So, you know, when you're at the register and you're calculating change, that's some quick math. Um, I was not operating in my maximum gifting. Uh, and in that season, nor was I really rocking it at anything else. <laughs> I could barely afford my housing. There was at least one month when I was for sure illegally uh, on a couch in a dorm room uh, having to wait for another unsuspecting student to let me in to like go to sleep. And then there was another several months where I basically lived in a closet on East, East Rock. Um, wasn't really doing any special projects, wasn't really in a particularly amazing band. I was attending church, but not really in charge of a single thing. Um, but in retrospect, I actually can honestly say that I encountered the living God perhaps even more during that particularly unimpressive season of life than in many other seasons of my life. I remember looking back through my journals of that time, and it felt like God was speaking to me constantly, 
Like there's new songs that are like leaking out of me all the time. There are these little conversations with coworkers, all people who explicitly and repeatedly told me that it was the stupidest thing in the world that I was working there after graduating from Yale, were illuminating deep things about where my identity came from and um, exposing some of my blind spots about what God is up to in the city of New Haven. Even customers at the bagel shop would inadvertently reveal spiritual lessons that I'd write down and then chew on for a while later. It wasn't a happy time. No, it was not. It was not easy. I cried a lot during that extended season of my life for various reasons that I won't get into now. But I do know that the glory of God was unequivocally right there with me in that mediocre bagel shop job and in my closet apartment every day and night, moving and showing up in and through the people around me, just as much as he had showed up to me and with me on the mission field in Argentina and in my classrooms at Yale. I genuinely believe that God delighted in sharing God's good news, God's gospel with little old me in the smallest things during that time. I think the angelic decision to visit the shepherds first after Jesus was born contains in it a powerful invitation for us today. Your regular life What if your regular life doesn't need to be any different than it is right now? For God's glory to find you, to find those around you, in your current context, whatever that is. Perhaps you have been catching yourself despising the unimpressive and underwhelming parts of your day-to-day life. Have you? Have you? Can you relate to that? If you have, maybe don't. The glory of God likes to show up there unannounced. Have you been feeling maybe unspiritual lately, barely able to muster up the will to go to church or pray? In that, have you maybe been worried that God's not going to find you there anymore? Well, don't, because I think the gospel is still excited to reach you there, right where you are. Maybe you've, you've been sleeping outside and kind of smell like the shepherds in the field. Well, the gospel glory of God can most certainly reach you, even there. However ordinary or undesirable your context is, this week, I encourage you, be on the lookout for God's glory, right in the middle of your day-to-day life. We can pay attention to it, even in the regular moments, cooking food for your kids, being stuck in traffic on the drive to your office job in the morning, pumping breast milk, or wiping poop off of your baby's butt. See who is nearby you, your neighbors, even the obnoxious ones. Pay attention to who they are and what they might be saying to you. What if, with just a little attentiveness, we might glimpse God's glory there? Because it's not just on dramatic mountaintops and the deepest valleys that God shows up. Sometimes it's right in the middle of the mundane things, isn't it? among the very regular and perfect people who happen to be around you on any given day. So don't despise the ordinary. Let's look for God there. All right, so that's the first thought. God's glory intentionally shows up in the most ordinary places. Second thought I have for you is, when we catch a glimpse of God's glory, I think the Spirit invites us to come and see more. Our story continues as follows. We pick up in Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels had left them, them being the shepherds, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary 
and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The first thing the shepherds do after being terrified is to get off their butts together and draw nearer to the source. Yeah? They say, the first words that come out of the shepherd's mouth, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I think there's something for us here, too. Whenever we encounter the glory of God, there's more where that came from. There's always more where that came from. The shepherds could have stayed put. They just saw an angelic choir sing them a song, right? That's enough for one day, one day's glory. Um, they could have been content with the announcement and the song. Got the memo. That's cool. Sit, store that away. Now I know. But they didn't. First, they processed with one another. They named it out loud. Whoa, that just happened. And then they got up and got closer, hungry to see the baby himself, right? One of the most catalytic phrases in the beginning of Jesus' non-baby Jesus, grown Jesus' ministry, um, is the phrase, come and see. Jesus says it to people who are curious about him, And then they say it to people in their circles, and that's how Jesus builds his first following. Um, You can see this in the book of John, another one of the Gospels, chapter 1, verse 38. A couple of disciples say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus' response is not to answer the question, but to say, come, and you will see. And so they went, they saw where he was staying, they spent the day with him. Later on, John chapter 1, verse 45 Philip, who had been spending time with Jesus, found Nathanael and told him, we found the one. Uh, Nathanael says, oh, he's from Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And, and Philip answers, come and see. So this come and see invitation, it's woven throughout the scriptures. It's in Jesus' ministry. It's present here in this story. But this come and see invitation is sometimes easier said than done. Because, I mean, if you're similar to me, and sometimes when I catch a glimpse of something impossibly good, my temptation is actually to leave it there. Maybe, for example, like maybe something will stir in our spirit during a random conversation with a neighbor. Something that feels distinctly beautiful and hopeful. Something that kind of catches in your spirit and you recognize the divine. (gasps) This is a moment. This is a beautiful, special moment. We could... Just make a note of it later. Write it down privately as a memory of a beautiful moment in an otherwise so-so day. That's what I mostly do, just being honest. Good thing happens, a moment of glory. I grab hold of it, store it away. But what if we picked up that thread of hope and asked God for more? What if we named the beauty out loud to the people right around us and said, hey, did you feel that? Did you feel that too? What if we were to go there, move towards beautiful things that we encounter in our day-to-day and behold it on purpose? There's something vulnerable, I think, about lingering in a tender moment and beholding something beautiful before we move on too quickly. We might be tempted to think that 
tiny little glimpse of glory in this moment is probably all I'm going to get. So I'm going to be content with that and move on. But I actually think the Spirit is always inviting us. Come and see. There's more where that came from. Draw closer. Come and be a part of the story yourself. So my question to you guys, church, is this. Where might the angels be whispering to you, come and see? Where might they be saying to you, hey, there's more where that goodness came from? What tiny threads of hope might the Spirit be prompting you to name out loud, to tug on and see where they lead? I think as a church, as a community, church family, I think we're in a weird, a little bit of a weird moment right now, this particular Sunday, December. I think for some folks um, in this room, in this community, trust is historically low. And we might not exactly feel like hope is overflowing for God to show up and find us here. And maybe for some of us here, we might be tempted to think that our particular context, whatever it is, whatever's going on in your life personally, our context is just too broken for a God to encounter, um, encounter us and then grow that encounter into something truly life-changing. And this could be maybe like a personal experience of hardship or brokenness, like an unreconciled relationship or two or three. Or maybe it's a more corporate brokenness in this particular moment, like it could be a disappointment, disappointment in things in your church community, the, the things that your church community has done or failed to do, or disappointment in some other group or family structure or entity. But I think God's glory is here too in our least glorious context and our least glorious moments. And I think if we can just pay attention enough to believe in it and perceive it, I think that there are very alive, very real threads of hope glowing all around this room. Could we be brave enough to name them out loud to those right around us and to expect more before a single other thing changes? I think God's still saying, come and see, there's more where that came from. We can pick up those threads. We can be a part of that story before anything else changes. And I think it's worth it because I believe Jesus is waiting to be found for us right nearby, whatever smelly field we find ourselves living in right now. So that's the second thought. When we catch a glimpse of God's glory, the Spirit invites us to come and see. And the third and final thought I will share with you out of today's scripture is that our ordinary God encounters make us into carriers of the gospel. Our ordinary God encounters make us into carriers of the gospel. The first words the angels speak to the shepherds are these. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The glorious visitation to the shepherds was not meant to just stay a private experience of those shepherds. It was supposed to be good news that will cause great joy for all people. The scripture says that as soon as these shepherds see Jesus for themselves, they spread the word, right? They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. These shepherds became storytellers. 
and it spread wonder and awe to all who heard it. They were the world's first evangelists of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only thing that qualified them to be storytellers of God's good, good news was their personal experience. It wasn't perfect theology as far as we know. It wasn't degrees. It obviously wasn't their cultural power and influence. Um, I mean, who knows? They probably didn't even phrase the story particularly beautifully or poetically. Maybe they even misspoke at times, misquoted the angels. But without fail, their testimony was real to them, and it spread wonder and awe to anyone who paid attention. I know that for me, I am often hesitant to share about what I've seen of God out loud, um, especially if I'm not sure that I can present it beautifully and package it right, you know? Some of us here are external processors. I know some of you external processors. You just share your thoughts, you know? <laughs> um, you figure it out as you go. You're kind of communicating. You're like, hi, now I know the conclusion because I've told you. I am not one of those people. I'm more of a, like, sit down and journal about it for hours and hours and tell no one. And then maybe once I've, like, aha, come to the conclusion, I've wrapped it up with, like, a beautiful takeaway and I can, like, say it artfully, then I will share, this is what I have learned. Um, and so that's the kind of person <laughs> that I tend to be. But I'm learning because I've seen God show up for me in my regular life in some pretty beautiful ways. Um, and on the few rare connections, um, sorry, the few rare occasions where I give words to that in front of other people, it always spreads joy. It always bears some sort of a fruit. Um, it's always beautiful. This, so this whole past week, Monday through Friday, wow, I was in California, um, Fullerton, California, at a songwriting retreat for worship leaders, a small group of worship leaders within the vineyard. It was, it was honestly less of like a retreat and more like labor camp because we were like constantly writing songs. My brain was like mush, may or may not have contributed to why I do not have slides to do. Um, but many of, you, many of you here know this about me because I've shared it at church before. Um, but for a good chunk of last year, I was going through a pretty severe vocal cord injury that left me completely unable to sing and not really able to talk too much for the better part of around nine months. Uh, that injury was, in fact, miraculously healed. Woo! I have told this story before, and there has been so much so much joy in myself and in others every time I name it out loud, every time I share that story. But this past week, after one of the many, 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 many group songwriting sessions, um, I surprised myself by sitting down and sharing a little bit more freely than I usually do about some of the moments where I found God's glory pre-healing. Um, how in this extended time of voicelessness, God gently and tenderly met me in this sense of sinking despair that I found myself like slowly descending into. Uh, and the despair that came from that thought that like, I am no longer useful to my creator. How like singing was always the one thing, right? The one thing I knew how to do, the one way that I can serve others in my community. I can sing, or at least I can talk. Nope, can't do either, okay. I am, what, what am I, right? So how God 
approached me and drew near to me, even in those questions, even in the anxiety that the, of the thought, the constant thought that the one thing I was good at, which is my voice, was potentially going to be gone and never come back. I caught myself sharing how God, um, God would just draw near and how I felt the voice of God over and over reminding me, surprising me, honestly, with the thought that he so treasured this quiet time alone with me. Um, how God taught me that I am extraordinarily fundamentally loved and delighted in, in ways that are 100% detached from the work that I do for God, the work that I do for God's kingdom. I caught myself sharing about how it felt like God was slowly teaching me how to be carried by other people, right? Pastor's wife in a church, very rarely do I go up and get prayer. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, I was just like a blubbering mess asking for prayer. Um, that was not effective in the moment, but was really powerful over time. Um, how God taught me how to cry in public a little bit better, how to show up in need, how to be utterly desperate for God's work in my life. So I was sitting there in that little circle sharing about this side of the story, and I just caught myself tearing up, and then I look around, and all the other people are tearing up, and then we're all just like crying together. Um, but it was this really sweet, really special moment of beholding together the presence of God in our vulnerability, in our brokenness in our like things are not quite resolved and we don't quite know where this is going but there is something good that I have seen and I will name it out loud in your presence and you will bear witness with me and that will be beautiful and I think that this is the offer and the invitation for every single person sitting in this room because I know that every single one of us here whether or not we would say confidently that we believe in God or believe in Jesus and the gospel I know for a fact that every single person in this room has glimpsed the glory of God. You know it. Something maybe comes to mind right now. You're like, yep, I've seen it. I know it's real. I felt that moment of love. I felt that moment of profound connection. I felt that like, I am so awake right now and I didn't know this was possible feeling. I think that the Spirit's invitation to us is the same invitation that the Spirit gave the shepherds. Hey, God's here. Come closer. See it for yourself. Become storytellers. Tell the world. Tell everyone. Tell everyone what you have seen, the beauty that you have seen. And if you feel like you're not qualified to give that declaration or give that testimony because the thing you have seen isn't like a mountaintop or whatever, don't disqualify yourself because these are some random shepherds who are living outside. And they told everyone. <laughs> and it spread joy and awe everywhere. Like, what if you could be a spreader of joy and awe everywhere? just by putting words to these moments of beauty that you come across in your regular everyday life. So I think that's, that's the lesson, that's the, the hope of what we can follow, what we can lean into out of what we see in the shepherds. So before we turn to a time of prayer ministry, the sharing of words that have been discerned in community, the invitations to prayer, I just want to leave a couple of three, actually, specific invitations for you guys to take on this week, should you choose to accept it. Um, the first invitation is from that first idea of, of God's excitement to meet you in the ordinary. Let's take a moment and think right now. Is there an aspect of your routine, an aspect of your day-to-day -day life that makes you, where you, you definitely don't see it as a place to meet with God? <laughs> yeah, can, can you think of that? <laughs> I mean, for some of us, it's the like, 
10 minute drive of like traffic like and you just become like particularly enraged or like maybe you're like it's a place in your day where you just have to do a boring thing you're like oh i hate this place um or maybe it's like a family thing it could be any number of things that is regularly shows up in your daily routine in your weekly routine i will issue a challenge this week and perhaps every week thereafter for the rest of your life what if you were to expect to meet god there what if you were to turn that particular stinky field into a sanctuary, into holy ground, a tabernacle? What if on that drive you're like, this is my moment to commune with the Lord and I choose to expect him, right? Could be, could be any number of things. But in that place, what if you were to look for glory? Keep your eyes extra open. Look up from what you're doing. Just exist, right? And see if glory shows up. So that's my challenge one. Look for glory in a boring everyday thing. My challenge, too, is to take God up on that come and see. Um, I think about my own life. I think one of my big struggles is distraction. It's easier now to be distracted than I think ever, probably. Um, but they're like, oh, I'm listening to you, and I'm on the phone, and I'm listening to you, and I'm on the phone. Like, there's so many distractions all around. Um, and so I think another challenge I would love to issue to you guys as a church is, what if we paid attention to our moments of like, we're starting to be present and then we pull back. Um, pay attention to when we're pulling back from presence and say, actually, I'm gonna lean in instead of pulling back. I'm gonna put down that distraction and lean in and ask for more, expect more. Let's take God up on that come and see invitation, yeah? All right, so the first one, looking for God in the boring every day. Second one, let's put down distraction when we notice it and lean in instead of away. And then the last one is just really practical. Share with one human being a moment of glory. Could be from your whole life, like something you haven't really talked a lot about. But like, hey, did you know that when I was like 20, I really encountered God in this beautiful way? You know, you can decide who to tell it to. It could be a really simple thing you saw that day. It could be something more meaningful with a friend. That's my challenge to you this week. What if we found a moment of glory, thought of a moment of glory and shared that? out loud, gave it words, and just beheld the beauty of that moment in the presence of another human being. I think that good things will come from that. I'm going to invite up Todd. We'll be sharing some words for prayer. Each and every service at ECV, people are trying to pay attention, listening to the words of the service, listening to the songs we're singing, but also keeping one ear open to what might the Spirit be saying, what nudges, what language might he be giving us for what God's up to in this moment. And so um, Todd's going to share some of those words, and each of those words will be an invitation to come closer, to come and see, to come and draw near to God in prayer. Um, before I pass over the microphone, though, I'm just going to name one sort of one invitation to anyone who feels like in this room that you have been just sort of separate, like separate from God and separate from other people. Like the thought of like, I'm going to name a moment of glory and talk to another person sounds like feels doubly impossible because you're like, what glory and like what person? I just feels like, if it feels to me that like, if that's you, if you can relate to that, I think that the spirit wants to minister to you in a specific way today. So if, if that, if me saying that was like, oh, I can, I can relate to that. Get prayer. Will you? Will you get up and move towards someone and like choose vulnerability and just tell them like, I, I, just, I just, just pray for me. And expect to meet God even there. 